minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. We are the first 365 day a year Packers podcast, and you can get all your Pack a Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack a Day Podcast. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can always check us out on CheeseheadTV.com. My name is Kyle Fellows, and I'm joined by my co-host, Andrew Mertig. Andrew, welcome back to another episode of the show. How's it going? I'm doing good, man. How was your uh, How was your week? Well, I will say that I am neither happy nor sad to be here. I would say that maybe I'm tied between the two of those emotions. <laughs> Leading with the puns right out of the gate, I see. Uh, Sunday's game against the Minnesota Vikings was one of the more frustrating games that we have watched. Uh, I think I could go back to the 2014 NFC Championship game against the Seahawks. It's one of those games that there was so much emotion directed towards what could have and what should have happened. Obviously, the Packers didn't lose this game. Um, it ended in that grand old tie, which is so maddening in itself. But it's even worse because it's compounded by the fact that Green Bay had this game won at so many different points. But once the dust settles and the awkwardness of that one and oh and one record sinks in, there are some really nice positives to take from this game. And other members of the Packaday team have done a really nice job talking about those things this week. But today we wanted to focus on some things that flew a little bit under the radar in this game. Uh, some storylines that didn't get quite as much attention as they probably deserve. And I want to start by talking just a second, uh, a little bit about J.K. Scott, right? That's We're going to talk about a punter today. Uh, Scott had a 63-yard punt with a 5.47 hang time. Wow. And he finished this day with a 53-yard punt average on four punts. And he placed two of those punts inside of the 20-yard line. So a really impressive day from Scott, and I didn't even know this, but Pro Football Focus does grade punters, all right? They're people too. But after two weeks, J.K. Scott leads the league among punters, according to Pro Football Focus. And so in a league where young punters and kickers are obviously not a sure thing, uh, you spend a draft pick on one, it's really great and encouraging to see J.K. Scott getting off to such a great start punting at Lambeau Field. Yeah, and I would say that the Packers' fifth-round punter had a far superior day to the Vikings' fifth-round kicker. Fair I'd say that's pretty fair to say. I think he had a far superior week after as well. <laughs> so some of the things that, that I saw that were really promising um, were the pass blocking of Jamal Williams and Ty Montgomery, um, and then also the young secondary players. So when 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 you take a look at having the best quarterback in football and him having limited mobility going against one of the best defensive units, and apparently one that likes to take a lot of cheap shots, it's critical for the running backs to step up and fill in on the pass rush. Mike Zimmer, to me, is one of the best blitz schemers in all of football, and both Williams and Montgomery had big days keeping Aaron Rodgers relatively clean. I was also really happy with the way Kevin King and Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson played. They really limited Kirk Cousins and forced him into some mistakes. And especially when you look at the stats before what I am going to title the scoop and pull gate fiasco, um, Cousins wasn't having the kind of day that he ended up with after the overtime period. And I think a lot of that changes the kind of perception that we have about that. 
So before we, we switch gears and start talking about next week's game, I just wanted to jump on my soapbox about an issue. And you know I love to rant and rave about things. And so there was one thing I just had to get off my chest this week. I am trying to look at teams' performances on the field and not worry about the how, how the officials call the game, or probably more accurately in this case, how the NFL determines what their rules are going to be. So obviously, this scoop and pull gate is going to dominate the headlines of, of the game. But what I've seen from the reactions of fans is that it is turning into a lot of extremism. So we hear the talk of flag football, or football players not being tough anymore, or people using like derogatory terms to refer to how quarterbacks are. Um, and, and I've seen a lot of that on Twitter and in feedback and in forums and, and all of those sorts of things. And the specific calls on Clay and Eric Kendricks are confusing at best, and probably even more accurately really hurting the game of football. But I cringe when I hear people talking about playing football like they did, quote-unquote, back in the day. We're talking about legends of the game who can barely walk, who have traumatic, life-altering ailments, and even in some cases resorted to taking their own lives. So the rules in the NFL that they're implementing are probably more about saving face and protecting themselves than actually preserving the future players. But if that's a secondary effect... Quite frankly, I'll take it. These are real human beings. If if you ever get the chance to talk to a Packer or even just, like, listen to them on TV, you'll see they, they have humanity. They are people. And they have an incredibly dangerous job. And we don't need to make it more dangerous because we want to see gladiators fight it out to the death for our amusement. As the Bears game showed, football can be incredibly exciting without huge violent hits. And that's why I get so upset with scumbags, and yeah, that's a strong word, but I mean it, like Andrew Sandejo. If you didn't know, he wore a Make Football Violent Again hat during training camp. Is that Sandejo calling you right now? It might be, yeah. Sorry about that. Really. I thought my phone He's was on vibrate. Mad at you. <laughs> well, He's I'm mad at you head. too, Andrew. <laughs> but he has a good name, so. He does. If you didn't know, uh, he he wore a, a Make Football Violent Again hat during training camp. So, meanwhile, he's collecting personal foul penalties like they're pogs and nearly decapitating people like Devontae Adams. The NFL needs to get Neanderthals like Sendejo out of the league. So they don't need to change the rules about how you can hit somebody every six months. And the officials can actually learn how to enforce the rules that they have. So, that is the end of my rant. That is actually some really good perspective, and I know you just identified it as a rant, but you're absolutely right. And even in the mix of all the truth that you just spilled on this fantastic podcast, you have enlightened us with words like scoop and pull, and you've talked about pogs. I haven't thought about pogs in years, and in this Packers podcast, you have reminded us of how great pogs were. So uh, thank you for that. But seriously, this is an important topic. It's something that needs to be discussed. Uh, and the frustration in this conversation comes from the players who don't understand what they are and aren't allowed to do on the field, and from fans who feel like the game that they love is being altered. And the results of the game sometimes are being jeopardized in this process. But at the end of the day, it is a game. And no game should risk the lives and the wellness of those who play it. 
And players who seek to cause harm, as Andrew has said, should not be a part of this league that we love to watch on a weekly basis. And so uh, some great perspective there um, on a week where we're very emotionally attached to just some things from from Clay Matthews and some hits on Devontae Adams. But uh, we do need to move on because the Packers have moved on. They're ready for getting ready for the Washington Redskins. Um, if we are being honest, the Redskins are not nearly as good as the Minnesota Vikings. Their roster simply isn't as talented. Uh, their defense is much softer, and frankly, they're not expected to accomplish much this season. And they just lost 29 or 21 to nine, rather, to a pretty bad Indianapolis Colts team. So this week, the Packers' key to victory, in my opinion, is just to simply impose their will as the better football team. And it's going to be important that they don't come in flat off this tie with Minnesota, but that they use that frustration and that lack of satisfaction as fuel to prove that they are a really, really good football team. And so, Andrew, I want to break down some of the interesting matchups that we need to be watching in this one and talk about which players on both teams are going to have an impact in the outcome of this game. Uh, so, Andrew, what is, what's one matchup that you will be keeping your eye on this week? Absolutely. Uh, one of the areas that I see a lot of strength from the Washington football team is that they have a really good edge rush um, and Ryan Kerrigan and Preston Smith are certainly leading the way there. So my key matchup is going up against David Bakhtiari and Brian Bulaga. And I expect to see some additional help provided for them because there's not a lot of impact players on the rest of that defense. I'd love to see Mercedes Lewis getting more snaps because he can provide a lot of help for the tackles. And in some instances, handling pass rushers one-on-one. I, I talked about a strong week from Williams and Montgomery blocking, but I would also like to see some of Aaron Jones getting um, to leak out of the backfield to freeze up the linebackers. So uh, that that was my, or one of the matchups that I saw that yes. I think is going to be really important. So I actually want to ask you, because you talk about Aaron Jones and the running back group there. McCarthy came out earlier this week talking about getting Aaron Jones back and what it would mean for this team. And he said that Jones' role would be secondary and that Jamal and Ty would get the first looks with the offense. I just want to ask you, what do you make of that? That sounds like the most Mike McCarthy thing I've ever heard. Right, because to me, Aaron Jones is a far superior talent to those other guys, and and I actually think Montgomery and Williams are both pretty good. Um, I I think they're above average NFL running backs, and having that kind of depth is really important. But to me, Jones is a difference maker. He's a playmaker. He has the chance to really make an impact on the game, like some of the other top-notch running backs around the league. And so to hear McCarthy would sit the huge playmaker in in place of the uh, really steady players is not surprising to me at all, but I hope that maybe that's just something that he's saying during the press conference to sort of punish Jones for getting suspended in the first place. Yeah, I hope with some coach speak. I actually am rostering Aaron Jones in two of my fantasy leagues as a deep bench staff, and I'm hoping he goes off. So free Aaron Jones, Mike McCarthy. I'm I'm asking you. I'm pleading with you. Um, But moving on, uh, I'm going to be paying close attention this weekend um, in Washington to Green Bay's pass rush uh, in this game. It's been noted, you may have heard, that the Packers' edge rushers haven't been producing the way that the Packers really need them to, um, or at the rate that, frankly, their paychecks suggest that they should. Um, Reggie Gilbert has been one of the most impressive things that we've seen throughout the preseason, but he's 
been working for pennies on the dollar compared to the premium contracts of Clay and Perry. And I bring that up here because Washington's offensive tackles, Morgan Moses and Trent Williams, are one of the strengths of their team. So I don't really expect this to be the game where Matthews and Perry get it right and turn it around. I think the edge rush will stall to an extent. But I do think that the Redskins' interior offensive line is a spot on the roster that can be tested. So I expect Kenny Clark and Mo Wilkerson and Mike Daniels to continue their disruption uh, in the middle and really be the source of the pass rush in this game. If they can pressure Alex Smith and collapse the pocket from the middle, I think that that will really hinder Washington's ability to keep up in this game. And so I'm expecting uh, quiet games from the edge rushers and those big fellows in the middle to really make some noise in this one. The Packers have also been without Aaron, uh, sorry, without Oren Burks and without Josh Jones for the first two games of the season. And that has strained their defense as they've tried to make up for their missing athleticism in covering the likes of Tariq Cohen and Dalvin Cook out of the backfield, not to mention athletic tight ends that create matchup problems. And so in this game with Washington, I'm looking to see how Green Bay matches up with Chris Thompson and Jordan Reed. I'm not too worried about Adrian Peterson. I think our run defense will take care of him and be sufficient to slow down the run there. Uh, but it would be really nice uh, to get at least one of those back, Oren Burks or Josh Jones, uh, to really help with Thompson out of the backfield. Um, I think Burks is ideally built for that role, uh, but Jordan Reed could be a problem. And the best way to mitigate that problem might be to commit a corner like Josh Jackson to covering him uh, during the course of the game. But with whatever personnel that Coach Petten decides to approach this with, I'm convinced that these matchups with Reed and Thompson will be critical in this game. Yeah, absolutely. And and you kind of stole my thunder right there because I was going to talk about Thompson and Reed, and I think that matchup is going to be huge. So hopefully, like you said, we get Burks and Jones back and they have more weapons to deal with it. One of the, the other matchups that I identified that I, I'm really excited to see is Devontae Adams matched up against Josh Norman. Norman isn't as good as he was in Carolina, but he's still a top-notch corner. And I always like to see Devontae Adams match up because he tends to thrive against playing against big-name guys like Norman. I have a feeling the uh, Washington footballers are going to try to bracket Jimmy Graham like the Bears did and let Norman deal with Adams one-on-one. That has advantage Green Bay written all over it. I have a feeling you'll... Want to talk about a different wide receiver and cornerback matchup based on uh, your personal history with one of the Washington players? Yeah, um, I have been a little bit obsessed with Randall Cobb throughout the first couple of weeks of the season. Um, and I do have a history here with Fabian Moreau, and I think that the two of them clashing in this game could be something to watch. Um, I'm excited to see if Cobb can take advantage of Fabian Moreau in the slot. I love Fabian Moreau when he came out of UCLA in the draft a few years ago, but I thought he was ideally suited to play a perimeter corner spot, not in the slot. Well, the slot is where the Rod- the Redskins are playing him right now, and Washington fans are really missing Kendall Fuller, who was their ace nickel back before they traded him away in the Alex Smith deal. Moreau was beaten pretty badly last week by T.Y. Hilton. And obviously Cobb and Hilton are very different players, but I still expect Randall Cobb to get the best of Moreau, uh, who I believe is really playing out of position in the slot. So maybe another big game from number 18 in this one? I could see that. I have a quick uh, trivia question for you. Since you brought him up, do you know what the T.Y. and T.Y. Hilton stands for? I do not know. 
It stands for Tyrannosaurus Yeoman Hilton. Are you serious? No, I'm not. I just totally made it. Oh. <laughs> All right, so we're going to switch gears a little bit in this one. Andrew, how about the Cleveland Browns nearly knocking off the New Orleans Saints? Yeah, I guess the Packers ended up using up all of their kicker luck on Daniel Carlson because Browns kicker Zane Gonzalez missed two field goals that would have potentially given the Browns the, their first win. The Saints have continued to look questionable, and at 1-1, one and one, their pick, if the season ended today, would fall somewhere between pick 10 and pick 25. So hopefully it'll be uh, continuing to be lowered here on out. They do travel to Atlanta this week in a game where they're three-point underdogs. That game kicks off at noon on Sunday, and we're certainly going to be hoping for a slide to one and two on the year. So go whoever plays the Saints. I can't bring myself to, to root for the Falcons. But yeah, I know. It's, it's hard. Uh, <laughs> obviously, it's way too early here, but I'm going to do this anyway. If you had to guess right now, Andrew, what positions do you think the Packers would target with next year's two first-round picks based on the current holes and the weaknesses in the roster? Yeah, I, and, and we talked about this a little bit. It's probably too early to jump into specific players in the draft, but I think this is a really useful tool because you can start to identify some areas on the roster that are a little bit weaker. And for me, the number one area that sticks out, especially coming off of last week's game, is safety. In fact, if I had a say in it, I'd be looking to invest a draft pick, although probably not one of the two first-rounders, but maybe you could sway me, to acquire Earl Thomas. Either way, safety is a gigantic need. As of right now, I wouldn't even try to bring HaHa Clinton Dix back because he has played so poorly, and Kentrell Bryce has had major struggles as well. It was a position we were talking about as a strong point just a year ago. And now it is a major need. And we've seen safety not be identified in the draft before, and it's really hurt the Green Bay Packers organization. In addition, I think you could always look for an edge rusher, and I definitely wouldn't be mad if they used both first-round picks on on edge guys. Yeah, I absolutely think the edge rusher is kind of like the elephant in the room, that that's something that they definitely have talked about looking at for years, and fans have been asking them to, to go out and get, but it hasn't happened. So that could be a part of the conversation. Um, but I would lean towards offensive tackle here. And that might be a little bit of a surprise. Obviously, Green Bay has uh, David Bakhtiari, but Brian Balaga is under contract in 2019, but the Packers could save just under $7 million in cap space if they were to cut him before next season, and he'll be 30 years old next season. So even if the Packers don't cut him, it would kind of surprise me if the Packers didn't acquire a successor to Brian Balaga in next year's draft in one of the first couple rounds. Um, offensive tackle isn't a super sexy position, but it is a premium position of importance in this league where so much is built around the pass. And that's amplified when you're talking about protecting someone like Aaron Rodgers. So just a couple positions to keep on your radar, safety, offensive tackle, edge rusher, as we do have these extra picks in next year's draft that will be of premium importance when uh, when Brian McGutikunst goes to invest those. But uh, we wanted to leave you today with uh, some injury report updates. Uh, the Packers hope and expect to have both Josh Jones and Oren Burks back for week three, although uh, they will likely be without Kevin King as he deals with a minor groin injury he sustained in the first half of Sunday's game with the Vikings. Uh, Aaron Rodgers avoided further injury in Sunday's game. Uh, we won't expect to see number 12 at 100% anytime soon, um, but I think that that's all we have for today, Andrew. 
Absolutely, and and we want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Pack-A-Day podcast, and we apologize if there were any audio issues. We have some folks on location today, so we apologize for that and or any phone calls or children you may have heard during today's <laughs> recording. But you can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit. Kyle is a fantastic follow. And you can find me at Andrew Mertig. I'm a very mediocre follow. Remember to also follow the at Pack a Day podcast Twitter handle as well. Please subscribe to the Pack a Day podcast if you like what we're doing. Tomorrow's episode is going to be hosted by Mike and Tyler. And you can listen on Sunday to Zach and Matub get you ready for the game. You can catch Kyle and myself every Friday. We'll be back next Friday with a special guest, Joe Marino of... The Draft Network and the Draft Dudes podcast is going to be with us to help preview the game against the Buffalo Bills. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember... Seven thirty-seven to go to scoreless first. Snap to Wild. Oh, yes! And taken by Jackson in the end zone for a touchdown! Geronimo Allison! Geronimo Allison! Josh Jackson, the rookie, recovers in the end zone in a Lambo leap to the north end zone stands. The Packers have a 6 nothing lead. Roger shotgun, Williams to his left, snap to Rogers, tosses left side, got Adams, circle in between two defenders in the end zone for a touchdown! Daniel Carlson, poised to end this game. 35-yard field goal attempt. Kevin McDermott on the snap. Matt Wild, the punter, down on one knee, waiting for the snap. Arm extended. Final seconds. Four seconds to go. Snap. Placement kick. End over end of the upright. No good. No good. No good. He no pushed good. it to the right. And the game is over. That is the end of the game. Daniel Carlson. The field goal problems for the Vikings have become legendary in recent seasons. He misses again in overtime. And this game ends tied at 29.